We saw how he came upon individuals in the Old Testament and empowered them for certain activities and tasks. He would come upon his people, but he did not dwell in them, not in a permanent sense. Where did he dwell? Well, he dwelt in the tabernacle or the temple. And then something happened that changed everything. What was that? Or better worded, who was that? It was Jesus, the Son of God, put on flesh and came and tabernacled among us. And because of what Jesus did on both the cross and in his resurrection, the relationship that the people of God have now with the Holy Spirit has become far more intimate. Now, the Holy Spirit has a new temple to dwell in. And who is that? It's us. Incredibly, at the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit of the living God comes inside of you and me and of all who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and takes up residence. We are the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 say, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. It's important to note that the yous that I just read to you are plural. Paul is speaking to the church collectively. Yes, the Spirit comes into our hearts individually, but he unites us together to make us corporately his temple. Each one of us is a living stone that is in the new building of God. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the whole point, beloved. When we become a Christian, the Spirit comes to reside and live within us. I hope that makes a difference just in thinking about the, the way that you approach everyday life. In the last three weeks, we've been talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, how he's God, the different various functions that he uh, performs in connection to us, but his residing is in us now. We are his temple. The Lord gives him to us as a gift and as a helper. Pastor Dave spoke last week of many activities that the Holy Spirit performs in the life of a believer. Just to remind you of them, he regenerates us, convicts us of sin, impresses the truth of God upon our hearts, reminds us of who Jesus is, comforts us, gives us peace with God, bears witness of our adoption, seals us, and empowers us for service to him. 
But there's one primary role of the Holy Spirit that I didn't mention, but will be our focus over the next few weeks and our theme as we study it. When he comes to dwell within us, he's not an, a passive participant in relation to us. He comes and resides in us, and he gets to work. He has a goal and a mission in mind, and it's very specific. And what is that goal? He gets to work with the lifelong task of conforming and changing and shaping us more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus. Or as was said last week, he undertakes the ministry of sanctification within the saint to grow us in holiness and godliness. That's the primary goal that he has for us when he invades our heart and comes and resides within us. The fruit of the Spirit that is produced in our lives is specifically what we'll be considering, and our text will primarily be found in Galatians chapter 5. So if you would, go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. While you're turning there, once again, over the next few weeks, we'll springboard to various passages here and there concerning this topic. But our anchor text will be found here in Galatians chapter 5. Since the fruit of the Spirit will be our theme, this will be our home base, so to speak. And verses 13 through 26 will be our focus. So follow along with me as I begin in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now remember the context of Galatians. 
Paul is writing to refute the error of the Judaizers who are saying that you must be circumcised and follow the Old Testament law if you're going to follow Christ. The apostle emphatically says, though, that that is not the case and that Christ has made us free. He has given his people true freedom from slavery. Look back at verse 1 of the chapter that I just read in Galatians 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Paul says we have been given freedom, but we must be incredibly careful what we do with that freedom. Look again at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not turn your freedom into what? An opportunity for the flesh. But serve one another through love. Very specifically, Paul tells us that we are to use our freedom for what? Not indulging our flesh, but to love one another and serve one another. And it's in the way that that exhortation is given that I want to draw out in connection with a couple of other verses in our text. Just two major themes for our time tonight. The first theme is very simple and can be reduced down to one word. War. That's right. War. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, he actively gets to work on day one. He comes and he declares an all-out war against our flesh and begins the process of conforming us more into the image of Jesus bit by bit, day by day, as he gives us new desires that enable us to kill our sin. That is the goal of the Holy Spirit when he comes and takes up residence within you and within me. But there's a big, big problem. Do you know what that problem is? It's that our flesh fights back. It doesn't want to acquiesce, and it does not want to surrender the battle. Our flesh in the flesh hates the spirit. They are mortal enemies. Do you know how I know? Look once again at verse 16. Verses 16 and 17. Verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. In verse 17, For the desire of the flesh is what? Against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. They are in every sense and in every way opposites. One is good, the other is evil. One loves and cherishes sin, the other hates it and is seeking to eradicate it. One is the source of life and the other is the source of death. And both of these influences create completely different appetites and desires within you and within me. They're warring appetites. To be a Christian on this side of eternity is to have appetites that are in conflict with one another. It's wanting to do what is right and yet at times failing to do so. 
It's wanting to resist temptation and on occasion not being able to pull that off. Paul knew exactly what we're talking about. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote Romans chapter 7. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 7. We'll come back to Galatians in just a minute. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. And as we begin, as you're turning there, the entire reason that I'm having us look at this is because as we think about the temple of the Holy Spirit and how that is where the Holy Spirit is residing in you and in me, we have to understand that there are competing forces within us that are warring against one another. It's the reality of this life and it's the reality of what we experience. Once again, Romans 7, look at verse 15. Excuse me, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am fleshly, sold into bondage to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing. For I am not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. However, if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law that the law is good. But now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that good does not dwell in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good, it's not for the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But I do the very thing I do not want. I am no longer, but if I do the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person, but I see a different law in the parts of my body waging what? war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, the law which is in my body's parts. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? What is his reply in verse 25? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. He, much like I'm sure that we would echo as well, he wants to side with the Spirit. But because of his sin and brokenness, he often sides with the flesh. What is Paul's response once again to the, to the exasperation within himself? To the battle between the Spirit and the flesh? The Lord Jesus Christ, he, he is the only hope the Holy Spirit is the only hope that you and I have to defeat our flesh. Paul is constantly waging war in faith against his flesh by the power of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He does, and he commands us to as well. A few uh, pages over, actually just a page over in Romans 8. He gives this command in verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are, under, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you 
are living in accord with the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. Also in Colossians chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read it. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, Paul says this, Therefore treat the parts of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also rid yourselves of them, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you stripped off the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. The entire point is, once again, we have the ability to choose, praise God now, before you and I had the Holy Spirit regenerate us, convert us, and bring us into the kingdom of God, we could only fulfill the desires of the flesh. But now we can fulfill the desires of the Spirit who want nothing more than to bring us into life and into union and obedience with the Lord. You can't, from what, we just, from what I just read in Colossians 3, you can't get much more linguistically aggressive towards something than telling someone to put something to death. But that's exactly what Paul tells us to do with our fleshly desires. And let's just take a moment, beloved, and just stop. In that list that we read, pretty sure that most of us could go through, and in our mind's eye, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, check off very quickly things that we wouldn't consider ourselves guilty of. But how often are we passive in the aggressive nature that we should take toward laziness or another sin that would be more acceptable as far as not sharing the gospel when the Holy Spirit would prick us and prick our hearts to. Whatever the sin, Paul wants us to put it to death. But here's the million-dollar question. How do we do that? How do we put our sin to death? How do, we find, how do we fight against a part of ourselves that can be so strong and so fierce and severe? There's only one way, friends, and we, don't, and we don't have the strength in and of ourselves to do it. We must yield and submit ourselves fully to the Holy Spirit of grace who is dwelling within us. It's not something you can work up. It's not something that you can create in and of yourselves. We have to rely on his strength and not on our own because only he has the power that is needed. We don't. You read in scripture often that it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that you're filled with a particular emotion. It doesn't mean that you're consumed in a particular way other than you're completely yielding yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit. In a bit of irony, the only way to win the war 
is by surrendering. The only way to be victorious is by waving the white flag, but to the right party. Let me just ask you, beloved, if I were to ask you tonight, how is the war going in your personal walk with the Lord? What would you say? Do you constantly battle against the flesh? Because in this life, it's going to be a constant battle. Or do you get tired and simply give in to it? More so, are you trying to fight the battle in your own strength? Or are you consistently and feverishly yielding to the Holy Spirit of grace to give you the victory? Are you pleading with him that he would kill your sin and make you look more like Jesus? Maybe you're here tonight, and as you assess your life, you're shocked by how little effort you give to fighting your sin. Maybe you don't fight it at all. Maybe that list of deeds that we read in Galatians 5 of the flesh is what simply characterizes your life. Friend, if that's you, can I just plead with you that you would forsake your sin and cling to Christ? Remember what Paul said in chapter 5, that no one who practices such things will enter the kingdom of heaven? The Lord came and died for one particular purpose, and that's to save his people from their sins. The Holy Spirit now comes and resides in you and his primary purpose is to conform you and make you and mold you into the image of Christ. Is this a painless process? Of course not, because sin clings so closely to us. But friend, if you continue, like I just mentioned, to acquiesce to your sin, and if you've never repented of your sin and turned to Christ in faith, can I just plead with you to do that? That the only hope that we have for this life and the next is to have our sin fully and fiercely dealt with. The Lord Jesus came, died on the cross, was buried, rose again so that you would not be separated from him. If you have not done that tonight, look to him and live, I would plead with you. The second theme that I want to briefly hit on tonight is that our sanctification is a corporate one. It's not merely individualistic. What I do and how I fight my sin directly affects you and vice versa. Once again, look at Galatians 5, specifically verses 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Verse 14 is incredible. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Instead of using the freedom that the Lord has given me on my flesh and on indulging what I want, I'm to channel it to loving and serving you. You're to channel it and love me and love and serve one another. We fight our sin together and bear one another's burdens. Just a little bit further down in Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby what? Fulfill the law of Christ. 
That is one of the most beautiful, practical aspects of the church that many people miss. Outside of the walls of this church, not many people care about your holiness. Please utilize your brothers and sisters in a wonderful way. Check in with one another. Encourage one another. Love one another. Spur one another on to love and good works. If you see your brother or sister struggling, lean into them and ask them why. One of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel is when, and this is very counterculture, it's very against what people want as far as I'm private, don't get in my business. This is something that I often say when someone joins the church is that I want you to speak into my life if you see me wandering away from the Lord. And I will speak into your life. We have to encourage one another. Our sanctification is not just going to happen individually, but it's a corporate endeavor as well. And also, don't fall into the lie that if you let your sin slide, that it only affects you. The way you fight against your flesh directly affects your spiritual family. It directly affects your spiritual family. As we begin to think about the fruit of the Spirit and consider this topic, and we will over the next few weeks, it was imperative that we start at this point tonight. It's so vital to see that we have a war that's going on inside of us, that after the Holy Spirit converts us, we're regenerated, He comes, He lives, He dwells, He resides in you and me, the purpose and one of the primary functions that he's going to do is get to war on our sin. How are we going to respond? How do we respond on a regular basis? When the Holy Spirit, and you know as well as I do, that often he speaks very softly. Do you listen to his voice? Do you continue doing what you want to do? Once again, it's imperative that we listen to him and respond to him so that we look increasingly like the Lord Jesus Christ. It was necessary to consider that the Spirit's primary goal for us is just that, holiness and godliness. He wants us to increasingly look like the Lord. And remember, sanctification is not just something that affects me, but it affects all of us as well. Next week, we will consider the first three aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit and see how they are graciously something produced in us rather than heart postures that we have to generate on our own strength. We will look at love, joy, and peace next week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace because we need it every single day. Lord, as we begin to look at the fruit of the Spirit, and what the Spirit generates in our hearts, Lord, the manifestation, the evidence of the Spirit. I just pray that, as we talked about tonight, we would realize that above anything, there's a war that goes on in our hearts. I pray that each one of us would respond to that by yielding ourselves completely to the Holy Spirit, consistently and thoroughly, and that we would do so together, Lord. 
May we realize that our sanctification isn't just about us, but it's about us all together as we are the temple of the living God. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.